probably the biggest don't is if you're in a role or a career or a situation or a job that is not making you happy or that is making you unhappy, don't do nothing about it. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and our guest today is brilliant and her content is so timely. Her name is Minda Zetland. She's an author, speaker, journalist, and contributing editor at Inc., where she writes the highly popular laid-back leader column for Inc.com. Her articles and workshops offer research-backed advice to help ambitious people get the most out of their careers and their lives. She's here to talk to us today about her newest book, Career Self-Care, Find Your Happiness, Success, and Fulfillment in, at Work. This book is available wherever books are sold. She is also a former president of the American Society of Journalists and Authors, a contributor to CNBC.com, Insider.com, and CIO.com. Minda, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is awesome to have you here. Well, it's awesome to be here. So there's a lot of things that we could talk about. I, I'm excited because the content of your book is so important for people. But I always love to know, and just the curiosity in me, tell us what puts you on the path that you're on today. How did you get your start doing what you're doing? Oh, goodness. Well, I've been a writer my whole life, and um, I started out doing a lot of business writing just because that's where the work was and getting more and more interested in it. Over the years, my career eventually led me to Inc., where I started doing more writing and eventually, as everything kind of migrated online, began writing a lot for the website. And the nice thing about writing for the web is that you can find out in real time what people are interested in and what they're not, because if they, if you can track the clicks, uh, you can see, if you can track the shares, you can tell whether they're coming from social media. So you can tell what people are interested in and you can tell what people think is worth sharing with other people. And more and more, I found myself writing about how to be happy, how to be um, mindful at work, and how not to kill yourself, as well as how to be productive and how to have a good career. And the two things kind of go hand in hand. And the more I wrote about this stuff and the more I talked to experts about it, the more uh, I discovered that our readers were really hungry for this kind of information. And eventually, I had written enough about it and studied enough about it and thought enough about it and used it enough in my own life and seen how much better my own life and my own career were when I took the step back to be mindful and to look at the big picture and to create space and time for myself to um, be able to do that, that it grew up into a book. And so here we are. I love it. So we're going to take a, a deep dive in the 
or as deep a dive as we can in the time that's permitted. But you know what, what I find exciting about your writing is we are actually, and I, I think if there were positives that came out of COVID, this is one of them, self-care, mental health, happiness. These were things historically, for the majority of corporations, at least in Western society, they were buzzwords. You know, the, we weren't still really seeing that companies were pouring time, energy, and resources into making sure that their employees had quality care, had access to therapy, that their well-being was in order. And now because of COVID and people working remotely, this is, this is at the forefront and it's clearly not going to go away. So is that something you're seeing too? Have you seen that sea change as well? I have seen the sea change, and I'm, I'm going to say something that sounds a bit cynical, unfortunately. I think some of that sea change, I agree, some of that sea change was driven in large part by COVID, and for a simple reason. Uh, so every time I, I talk about remote work and the move to remote work during COVID, I feel like I want to remind myself, as well as whoever I'm talking to, that in fact, in the United States at the peak of COVID and the peak of remote work, 50% of the workforce was still working um, in a workplace. So it's very easy for those of us who do knowledge work and write and do podcasts and all this stuff to, to think, oh, everyone's working at home. It's not really true. But for the large portion of the population that was working at home, something very simple and very powerful happened, which was that suddenly we were all looking into each other's homes. And seeing, you know, I mean, yes, I've, I've kind of created a backdrop for myself when I'm on Zoom, as probably most people have who use Zoom, but the cat could walk along, the kid could walk along. If you have one, you have dogs, they could come along. So all of that, I think, as well as all the other things that went with COVID kind of humanized the work process. And I, I heard a a high executive of a startup here in Seattle say that he was amazed that he was having a meeting. And during this meeting, someone's child fell asleep on their lap and he thought it was great. Now, here's the cynical part. I think that a lot of this move towards caring about employee experience as it's termed employee wellness, um, mental health. Yes, COVID strained mental health for everybody and suddenly everybody needed more mental health support. That's absolutely true. But it's also true that we were, even before COVID and again now, facing record unemployment, record low unemployment, for, uh, especially for certain kinds of technological work. And employers all over the country and all over the world are scrambling to hire people. And so they suddenly are taking an interest in making those people feel happy and comfortable and at home. As we all know, the economy is shifting. Whether that is going to bring a rise in unemployment or not, particularly for knowledge workers, is as yet, I think, unclear. If that happens at the same time as companies are trying to tighten the purse strings, I think companies tightening the purse strings is a given. I think that is happening and it's going to continue happening. We may see less of that. And I think that if that's true, that would be a real shame. Because the fact of the matter is people who are happy in their jobs and comfortable in their workplace and comfortable in their lives and able to take care of their health and their relationships and their mental health, just do better work and they're more productive. And if you start ignoring that stuff uh, as an employer, you lose. I couldn't agree more. 
I mean, there's significant evidence empirically to support everything that you just said. So let's then jump forward in time. And, and like you, I hope that this doesn't end up being the case where HR is spending less money on supporting their employees. But if it does, it sounds like your book is something that could be helpful for that individual. And, and in general, something that would be helpful now because we're talking about finding happiness, success, and fulfillment at work. So I'd love for you to take us through, take us through the book. The, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of research that went into this. Talk to us about who you interviewed. And, and I, I want to begin kind of with what are the overarching themes across the experts that you interviewed? Well, I've talked to a lot of experts about a lot of different things, but I think maybe the overarching theme is to understand yourself and how you fit into your work and um, your career, uh, your workplace, in relation to who you are as a human being. And in particular, how people's brains work, which I know, Dr. Richard, is absolutely your specialty. Um, I've interviewed, unfortunately not you, but a lot of experts about how the brain works and learned some fairly surprising things about how to uh, make the best use of it, right? It's this one tool we all have. It's the one thing we all have. One of the things I've learned is that there is a rapidly diminishing return on investment when you work longer hours. There's a a relatively low number of hours in the week beyond 40 that you can go working before you lose so much productivity that you might as well not be working so that you would actually would hit peak productivity somewhere around 50 hours a week or no more. And I think a lot of people are working longer hours than that. And you got to start asking yourself, why am I really advancing the cause of whatever it is I'm trying to do? So I guess that maybe is the overarching theme of the book is to find the intersection between what you're passionate about, what you really want to work at, uh, your need to have a career and, and obviously make money, and what makes you happy, what fulfills you, what are the things in your life that are important to you, and where you find that balance, that happy intersection um, is the sweet spot. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. You talk about this in part four, the work plus life. And, and it's interesting too, you know, you mentioned the, the, the productivity dips. There's actually some pretty good research that I've seen that shows that workers are more productive less than 40 hours. So it's, it's interesting that we work a 40 hour work week in this country. And I think it's for the same reason that pancakes and sausage are breakfast foods and hamburgers are dinner. 
And it's just because that's just the way that it's always been. It's what's expected of us. So I'm grateful that you are talking about this research and talking about this, because I think what also happened, and and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, uh, I think a lot of people, because when they became remote workers, there wasn't the delineation anymore between work and home, right? If you're in an office and you work and you're there from 8.30 to 4.30 or 8 to 6 or whatever it is, you clock out, you clock out. Whereas when you were working from home, there really weren't hours anymore. There was just work. Yeah, I think actually that that has happened to everyone, whether they work in an office or not. I actually have a chapter called The Disappearing Line Between Life and Work. And the thing is that even for those who are working in an office, which doesn't include me, but it does include a lot of people, you have a smartphone, you have a laptop, you probably have a home office or at least a, a kitchen table where you find yourself doing a lot of extra work after dinner and perhaps the kids have gone to sleep or whatever. So I think that for all of us, wherever we work, uh, again, you know, unless perhaps you're a frontline retail employee or something, then maybe when you leave the job, you're not on the job, but you're probably still checking your schedule and things. For all of us, that line between work and life has kind of disappeared. And um, to some degree, on the positive side, it's kind of disappearing in the other direction too. Uh, Inc. does something that I love. It writes about dog-friendly offices. You know, I think that I don't have a dog and I don't work outside the home, but if I did go to an office somewhere, uh, I would love to be able to bring a dog if I had one. Uh, I think all that kind of stuff needs to happen more. And at the same time, when we are working, whether we're home or going to the office or some combination of both, We also need to figure out how to set those guardrails that say, okay, on one day a week, this is a rule that I made for myself, and we can talk about this in a minute, but one day a week, I will do no work at all. Now, in an ideal world, on that one day a week, I would also not read my email. Um, This is not something I have ever managed to do. (laughs) And so it's definitely do what I say, not what I do. But I think that actually would be a best practice. you definitely need to have that separation for a lot of reasons that pertain not only to your own mental health, but also to your performance of your job, because it requires that ability to take a step back from what you're doing and think about things holistically to make the creative connections that will actually help you innovate and achieve more. And I know you know, because you're an expert on the brain, that that has to do with different parts of your brain looking at different questions in different ways. But often, you know, people, I mean, the cliche is you have your best ideas in the shower, right? Um, There is a reason for that. And it has to do with that unfocused attention that allows your brain to make those connections. And to have that unfocused attention, you need time away from work. You Mm -hmm. need time not responding to people's constant requests. Uh, You need time to think for yourself and ideally time to step away from work for vacation, right? We're heading into summer here for at least as we're having this conversation to have vacation away from work. Uh, We all need that. And we need that both to be healthy because working all the time we all know is bad, very bad for our health, but also to be really good at what we do. Very true. And and I want to kind of pivot a little bit, you know, the title of your book, Career Self-Care, Find Your Happiness 
success and fulfillment. Success and fulfillment. So, and let's start with success. So, you know, people define success differently. Sometimes success is making the most money. Sometimes success is climbing the ladder and getting recognized by your peers. How do you define success? Oh, isn't that a great question? So what what I think about success is that it doesn't really exist. Now, <laughs> um, that might sound uh, um, a, a bit strange. So let me explain. I explained it about myself in the book talking about my career at Inc., where I currently get about a million readers a month for my column. And when I first started writing for Inc., it was much, 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 much less than that. And I couldn't really figure out how to make any headway and it really mattered. So I was trying to figure out, you know, how, how can I, how can I get more readership? And I was seeing that there were people who were getting a million pages a month. And I thought, wow, if I could get to that, boy, would I be happy. And, uh, you know, I worked on it and I learned more and I wrote more. And over time I started getting a bit more and a bit more. And then one month I hit a million readers and I was really lucky. And then it, you know, and then it went away and then I learned more and wrote more. And eventually I started hitting a million readers every month, which you would think would make me happy, right? Because I said, oh, when I hit a million readers, I'll be happy, right? Well, you know, but I have colleagues who are hitting three and four million readers a month. So of course, I don't feel successful until I reach their level and so on and so on. And it's always like that. By the time you achieve a goal, you've already set your sights on the next goal. That's kind of human nature and that's the nature of being you know, a driven, ambitious person. So here's what I think about success. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing right now, you are successful. It's as simple as that. Because if you start from there and you recognize that whatever success really is, you're never going to hit a moment when, ah, I've gotten there. Um, you can continue being driven and ambitious, but just know that you're successful right now. And you're successful really as you'll ever feel, because by the time you reach a goal, you're already looking at the next goal. And you know what? I mean, that's that's not bad. That's how we continue to grow. It's interesting, though, because you're conceptualizing su success in the context of something that's aspirational rather than something that's tangible that you can actually achieve. I think that's, and you're right, but I think it's really an interesting way of framing it. That's really interesting. So then let's talk about fulfillment. So is fulfillment real? Does Minda Zetlin say, yep, fulfillment is real because we know success is. So is fulfillment real to you? That is a very good question and one that no one has ever asked me. I think it is. I think it can be. I think that people talk a lot about purpose in work and sometimes it gets it can get silly because every corporation, large and small, wants to talk about its purpose because, and probably for a very simple reason, which is that they've read a bunch of surveys that show that people, and especially young people who have the kind of skills they're looking for, all say that purpose is very important to them in choosing an employer. And purpose, as opposed to things like better perks or more vacation time, purpose doesn't cost anything. So it's very easy for everyone to talk about purpose, but there is a reason for that. And I think we all need to feel like our work means something. 
and means something to somebody other than us and means something to the world. And maybe ideally in some way makes the world slightly better for some people. Now that could be a tall order. But I think that the more we feel like what we're doing has that effect and has some importance in the world and significantly is appreciated by people in the world, the more fulfilling I think that is. I think now for me, now some people feel very fulfilled when they make a lot of money and there isn't anything wrong with that. Um, There isn't anything right with that. It really depends on you and who you are and what money means to you. For some people, money means the ability to support your family, the ability to make sure your kids get the education that you want them to get, the ability to make sure that your elderly parents are comfortable in their late years. So all of that is very valuable. If you're Bill Gates, uh, you know, money means the ability to actually make the world a better, safer place. So all of those things are important. I think people are fulfilled different ways. I think all different forms of fulfillment are great. And yeah, I do think it does exist. But, you know, success is theoretically a destination. Fulfillment is something else. Interesting. As you, as you were talking, I, I couldn't help but think of a former classmate. And, and we all have these classmates who were so focused on goal attainment, but there was really nothing behind that other than goal attainment, right? Achieving goals for the sake of achieving goals. But I, I think you're right. You know, people... Money is to people different things. And so I, I, I guess it boils down to what brings you a degree of satisfaction and what steps can you take to experience that hopefully as often as possible. So yes. this is a- on, on the subject of goals, because I, it's something that I, I read a lot and uh, do a workshop about that, that people seem to really like. Um, there is something about single-minded goals uh, that can be very, very powerful. Um, you know, a goal is different from success. A goal is a specific thing that you want to achieve. And you're right, there, there might be something behind it. Uh, there might not, you might get there or you might get close and realize that it's not actually what you wanted. But my favorite story about this uh, that's actually in the book is that my husband, who is a musician and a guitar teacher, had a guitar student in Socrates, New York, which is a teeny tiny nothing town. Um, that was near where he grew up. And he had a guitar student who was 13 years old and the guitar student was named Jimmy. And Jimmy loved comedy. And Jimmy had one goal, even when he was 13, that he was very, very clear on he was going to be on Saturday Night Live someday. And um, so every time he and Bill sat down for a guitar lesson, before they could start, this was Jimmy's rule, he had to tell Bill a joke and Bill had to tell him a joke. And then they could have the guitar lesson. And he was absolutely sure someday I'm going to be on Saturday Night Live. And you perhaps guessed by now that Jimmy's last name is Fallon. And he was indeed on Saturday Night Live. Then he went on to The Tonight Show. So there was, you know, he got to one goal and had to go on to another. But he was so singularly fixed on this that when he got his first uh, big acting role in a TV pilot, he put it in his contract that he could break the contract and leave if by any chance, he got a job on Saturday Night Live. And the people were like, yeah, sure, kid. Okay, sure, we'll, we'll sign that. And then when he did audition for Saturday Night Live the second time, but the most successful time, Tina Fey was there. And she said afterwards, it had been like he was built in a lab to succeed on Saturday Night Live. He was perfectly adapted for Saturday Night Live and one of only two people she'd ever seen 
who could have gone on that night without any further preparation. So there's a lot to be said for knowing exactly what you want and figuring out how to get there. So that's goals. Awesome story. I, uh, I love it. I, I wonder if, if who was the other, I'm thinking who was the other person that Tina Fey would have thought that about, but um. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, um, let's take a dive and let, let's now talk specifics. So, you know, what are some of the do's and the don'ts? Somebody's listening to this they're like, yep, I'm going to get, I'm going to get them in this book. Uh, but what are some of the do's and the don'ts so that you could have the success, happiness and fulfillment? Uh, well, there are, there are, so if you do get the book, it's full of exercises. There's exercises in every chapter that you can use to either move toward your, towards your goals, um, increase your happiness at work, increase your mindfulness because mindfulness is super important to everything. Um, I do a lot of yoga and meditation. You certainly don't have to, but some of those tools turn up in the book in very easily used ways. So I guess maybe some of some the do's are that. There's only, okay, I said don't work seven days a week. That's definitely one don't. But I think probably the biggest don't, and I think this applies to everything really, but probably the biggest don't is if you're in a role or a career or a situation or a job that is not making you happy or that is making you unhappy, don't do nothing about it. Now, uh, you know, it's very easy to be flip and say, well, you know, if you don't like your job, go find another one. It's not always easy for everyone in every situation, um, in every geography or in every profession. I understand that. But there are almost always things you can do to make your situation less unhappy. Um, it might be often the reason people are unhappy in a job has to do with somebody they're working with or somebody they're working for. And it might be a simple matter of either uh, making a lateral move to someplace else, finding someone else to work with, or possibly reevaluating your relationship with that person and seeing if you can make it better. Um, another reason people might be unhappy is that they're bored and unchallenged. There's all kinds of ways to add challenges to your job or even to add a side hustle that is challenging to you if your job is not. So I understand that people can't necessarily up and quit, particularly perhaps not in um, times of economic uncertainty, which I think we're heading into, but don't do nothing. If you're not happy, if you're not fulfilled, if you're not feeling like you're at least moving in the direction of the success that doesn't really exist, don't just live with it. Figure something out. I love that. So well said. Minda, our time together has been awesome and it's flown by. As you know, I, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests this one question. What is your biggest helping, the single most important takeaway you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our chat today? Well, this is something I think I've been talking about our whole conversation, but to put it in like a single sentence, I say this in the end of my book, it's your job to make yourself happy. And I mean that really seriously, not just in the sense that you got to make yourself happy because no one else will, although that's actually true. Uh, even the people who love you the best can't really figure out how to make you happy. You're the one who knows that but also because it's your responsibility, if you can, to the world and to the people around you to be as happy as you can be. Uh, my ASJA colleague, Gretchen Rubin, 
has all kinds of research showing that happy people not only work better, they're more likely to volunteer, they're more likely to um, contribute to charity, they are better, uh, better members of society in every possible way. In every possible way, if you are happier, everyone is happier and you are better in the world. So it's your job to figure out how to be happy and uh, go make it happen. I love that. That is essentially the essence of this show. So thank you for sharing that. Minda, tell us where people can learn more about you and get, get their hands on your, your newest book. So the book is everywhere. It's on Amazon, of course, and in bookstores and any place you might look for a book. Um, and you can learn a whole lot about me at mindazetlin.com. Um, you can find a link to my articles. You can sign up for my newsletter. You can sign up for my daily texts. Um, you can get more into my brain than you could possibly want. So that's where it all starts. Awesome. And we'll have links to everything so you too can get into Midna's brain. And that's at the show notes at thedailyhelping.com. So this was great. Minda, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us today. And I hope everybody uh, runs out and gets your book because it's awesome. Well, thank you. And it was a very happy experience for me, speaking of making yourself happy. I love that. And I want to thank each and every one of you as well who chose to take time out of your busy days to listen to our conversation. If you like what you heard, go give us a follow on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because that is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 